Well, recently, uh, I was reading in the book of Daniel, and uh, and uh, as I was doing that, um, I came upon the section that talks about Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, it just really got me thinking a lot about our attitude and the attitudes of people around us and the attitudes in people that we know in churches and, and that sort of thing. And uh, So I, I just wanted to uh, share a little bit today about being humble. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I think of the word humble, uh, you know, it, it's not something that really comes natural for most of us. Uh, some of us uh, have to work at being humble, and then when we do that, we're trying to be humble, and then we're not being humble. So it becomes a real interesting uh, process. But I, I looked up a couple of definitions, and I like this. Within the context of the Judeo-Christian tradition, humility is considered the proper attitude of human beings toward their Creator. So you kind of get the image there. It's not so much how we see ourselves or even how other people, but how we see us, ourselves in conjunction with our Creator, God. And then Thomas Aquinas, uh, for instance, thought of it as meaning uh, essentially submission to God and a, consequence, uh, mod a consequential moderation uh, of ambition to keep it within the bounds appointed for each individually or individual by God. Uh, this is compatible with re recognizing that in certain ways one may be better endowed by God than someone else. So in other words, uh, as I read that, the thing that I thought is, you know, sometimes uh, some of us are given gifts that uh, are for God's glory and for God's purpose. And we really run into a dangerous area when we start to look at a gift given to us by God in a way that, look at me, I've got this, and starting to kind of pat ourselves on the back. And so I think what Aquinas is saying here is we need to keep these things in perspective, keep them in the proper balance, and recognizing uh, what is uh, important and who we really are in our lives and so I, I wanted us to start here, and we're going to eventually, we're going to move to Philippians, but I wanted to start here with uh, the story about Nebuchadnezzar. So if you would turn uh, in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, that's found on page 880 if you're using the Pew Bible uh, in front of you. Um, but as you recall, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was king, uh, he had had several uh, times when he had had dreams and Daniel came in and interpreted those dreams for him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was a man of great power. Uh, he had uh, done wonderful and amazing things. And uh, there is coming a time because of arrogance and self-pride that is coming to him that uh, Daniel is interpreting a dream that he had had. And I'm not going to go into the dream. Uh, I'm just going to uh, read for you uh, beginning in verse 24 and 25. And this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. So in other words, God has decreed, God has decided that this is what is going to happen. That you shall be driven 
from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And so if you can kind of get your head around that a little bit. So what is he saying? He's saying that Nebuchadnezzar, because of your pride and your arrogance, you are going to be driven out from your palace and you're going to be sent out into the wilderness and you're going to be like one of the animals. Now, if you can imagine, uh, they're in Nebuchadnezzar's palace when this conversation is taking place. And Nebuchadnezzar knows that he is a strong and powerful man with a lot of support around him. And he's got all of these things that are, that are uh, surrounding him, that how in the world can this happen? And uh, as I said earlier, he's had these other dreams, and Daniel has interpreted them, and they've come true. And so it's significant when we think about that. So Daniel is telling him, this is going to go on for seven years. This, this isn't going to be something where you're going to be out in the wilderness for a couple of days and you're going to be coming back in and just get your attention. No, this is going to be for seven years. And so he's giving him a warning. And then if you look at verse 27, Daniel is continuing. And now it's almost kind of like, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the dream. That's the interpretation of the dream. Now let me, as your friend, as your counselor, as your a uh, person that you have come to in the past. Let me just give you a little side piece of advice. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. So if he's breaking off of the sins of, and, and turning to righteousness, that means what? He's been unrighteous in his behavior, right? By practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he's laying out to him a challenge. Nebuchadnezzar, you're full of yourself. You think that you are God. You, are, you have elevated in your own mind yourself to that level. Humble yourself. Knock it off. If this was us, we'd come to a friend and say, look... You're acting like a jerk. It's time for you to stop acting like this. Right? I mean, I, I like to put things in phrases that way I, the way I would say it, right? But, but that's what I would do to a friend. I'd say, look, man, knock it off. You can't act this way. And that's what you get the sense here that Daniel is doing with Nebuchadnezzar. Can't be easy. <laughs> He's talking to the king, powerful man. And yet he tells him this. We'll look at verses 28 and 29. Uh, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is, it, is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power and royal, and a, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Do you see what he's doing here? 
He has had a man, Daniel, who has been by his side, giving him advice, helping him. God, in many ways, had blessed him and had, and had enabled him to do these things. And now he's been warned, Nebuchadnezzar, stop doing the stuff you're doing and turn to God. And Nebuchadnezzar, a year later, is out walking, and he's looking around, he's saying, man, look at what I've done. I got it together. I am awesome. I know everything there is to know. And I hope everybody comes around and bows at my feet. And then we know the rest of the story that Nebuchadnezzar ultimately is humbled by being sent out into the wilderness. He lives as an animal for seven years because God had warned him and given him an opportunity to change his mind. When I think of this story, I I wonder sometimes to myself, how do we measure and decide what a humble person looks like? How do we recognize if we are humble? Well, I came across a, a couple of... Oops, sorry, I forgot to put these up. Well, as I said, he warned them. And he says, it's not this great Babylon which I have built by my power, but here's what I want to share with you. Here's a quote that I found. I'm really proud of my humility. That, that, that shows great humility, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you know. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I, if I just get up in the front and just point to these things, and look, you want to see an example of humility? Uh, don't look at me. Uh, another one that I came across, humility is the ability to act ashamed when you tell people how wonderful you are. See, you know how that works, right? Oh, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just such an awesome guy, but man, you know, it's like so hard for me to tell you this because I'm just so awesome. It's just, you know, you got to act like you're really being humble about that, right? And then if I only had a little bit of humility, I'd be perfect, right? Anybody in here feel that way? Okay, I know nobody would raise their hand. So how do we measure one of the things that I, as I was doing this and preparing and thinking about this, thought of this. Let me tell you this. The first thing to look at, if you think you're humble, you're not. And there are people who honestly, I have heard say in my presence that I'm, very, I'm a very humble person and so I can't do that such and such. And the minute somebody says, I'm a very humble person, I recognize that, sorry friend, you're not. So I want us to turn and we're going to look at Philippians. It's found on page 1159 in your pew Bible. And we're going to just read uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 11 there. And uh, as you're turning and before we begin, let me uh, just open us with a, a word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you for your examples, your models for us on how we should live a life that is glorifying to you and not glorifying to self. So Lord, as we look at these verses today, help us to recognize our need, our dependence upon a relationship with an awesome and amazing God. 
for God, you so loved us that, Jesus, you came into this world. God, the Son, came into this world for those of us who were your enemies. That is amazing love, amazing grace. Lord, help us to recognize our position in our relationship with you and our family of God. Lord, you are high and lifted up and glorified in everything. So, Lord, uh, speak through your word today. Thank you for your presence here with us through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11 verses. So uh, let me read that and then I just want to make a few comments about it. It's titled, Christ's Example of Humility. So if there's any comfort, I'm sorry, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any, affle- any, any affection, I'm sorry, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name, is, name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we're given a wonderful model and example. Paul suggests or tells us, not suggests, he tells us that we should imitate or take on the qualities of Jesus Christ, that we should be like Jesus in the way we act. Um, Notice what he's talking about here. He says that as Christians, if we're going to really uh, model, if the church is going to model Christ-likeness, if we're going to be a church that represents God and who God is, it begins with us being like-minded. Now, it, w- it would be impossible for us all to think exactly alike. We, we don't, any of us, think exactly alike. Um, you know, some people uh, think along one line. Uh, I, I think of uh, our friend Chris Mauser. You know, uh, I, I, we love Chris. And Chris uses these words that are exponentially larger than anything that my meager mind can comprehend, you know. But that's the way he thinks. I don't think that way. Pastor Brian thinks in a certain way, and my mind doesn't always go along the same line. But you know what's really cool? As staff, when we're thinking in different directions, and I could go with all of the rest of the staff, 
as well. When we're, when we're all, our minds are heading off in different directions, we sit down together, don't we? And, and we reason together and look at what is in the best interest of the church. Not, not what's going to glorify me or Chris because of his big words or, or Pastor Brian because of his cool dress, the way he dresses and things like that. But I, I had to say that since he's wearing his tuxedo today. But it's working together for what purpose? To glorify God as a church. Well, how does that happen? How, how is it that people with different minds and different ways of viewing things and, and, and different thinking uh, systems, how does that come about? We become like-minded when we are led by the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we, can, uh, we can come together and be in total disagreement about something. That hasn't happened a whole lot of times, but there have been a few times where, where it's like, one is over here and another is over here, and it's like, wow, how are we ever going to, to get this worked out? How are we ever going to figure out where God is wanting to lead us? And what we have to do is pray about it. And we slow down and we, and we really ask the Holy Spirit to really lead us. And it's been amazing to me, Pastor Brian, I think you would agree with this, it's been amazing where there's been times where, where you know, it feels like we're going like this and then all of a sudden we stop and we pray and we think about something and we'll come right back. That doesn't happen by accident. It's because we are being led by the Holy Spirit. And so if we are going to be a model to a community, if we're going to be a model to other people as a church, then we have to be like-minded according to what Paul is teaching here. And when we uh, have humbled ourselves to the point where we're saying, Holy Spirit, lead us in this, we don't have the answers. We don't, ha- we don't have the ability to do this on our own, but we know that you can lead our church in the direction you want us to go. And that happens because we have humbled ourselves to the point where we allow the Holy Spirit to take over. I don't know about you, but I still hear occasionally people complaining and grumbling about things. You know, it's not the way we used to do church, or I wish we did this, or I wish we used that version of the Bible, or I wish we this, or I wish we that. You know, we, we we should sing more hymns, we should sing more contemporary songs, we should have a rock band up. No, um, we, you know, we should be going in all of these different directions. But when we carefully consider and pray about and think about and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, we come to that point where we're working and functioning as a body of believers that's glorifying God because that's our purpose. And that's what Paul is encouraging here. He's asking them to do these things to bring complete joy to him. But at the same time, he's really saying... If it's bringing joy to me, in other words, if you're functioning as a church the way it should function, then we're bringing glory to God. And we're helping people to see Jesus Christ through us in the way that we are living our lives. Then he gives us the best model possible, right? I mean, what other model could there be that would be better than Jesus Christ himself? You know, he says... Uh, 
have the verse 5 have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus and he uses Christ as that model and he gives us the example and he talks to us about how Christ lived and so we have then a description of of how uh, Christ or what Christ had done the first thing is what did he do he left heaven now the first thing that we have to do, and, is, and that's come to the point where we agree that Jesus Christ was in heaven. In other words, uh, the Bible is true. What the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true. What does John say in his gospel? John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, the word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus Christ is the Word. Jesus Christ was with God in heaven. Right? That's what he's saying. And Jesus Christ is God. Think about that. We, we, we sometimes know that in our heads, but we don't always stop and take the time to really kind of think through. What is that talking about? That's talking about Jesus Christ, God, is in heaven, where there's perfection, where there's nothing there that would distract him from being glorified. He left. <laughs> he left that. Do you ever... Does that ever like humble you to the point where you start? Wait a second, for me, I don't know that I would leave heaven for me. You know what I'm saying? I, I recognize who I am. God, Jesus, left heaven, and He came for you and for me. You ever think about the fact that Jesus was born to regular people? You know, we, we make a, a, a big deal about Mary, and I'm not minimizing her when I'm saying this, so please don't be offended. But we don't read that Mary was perfect. What we read is that Mary was a virgin. She had never been with a man. And we see later on that Mary and Joseph, who were the earthly parents of, of Jesus, did a great job of raising him. They, they encouraged him along the spiritual lines and that sort of thing. But they, we, all we have to do is look when he was a, a young boy and he, he got left behind and he's at the temple and he's talking to the peace, people there and they don't fully understand. They come to, why are you here? Why weren't you with us? And he says, don't you know I have to be in my father's house? They were regular people like you and me. It wasn't a princess and a, or, or a queen and a, and a king. No, they were regular people that Jesus was born to. And, and you would think, you know, he came from heaven. You would think for sure he would, he would be in some palace, right? Some awesome, amazing place. And instead we read that instead he was born in a place where there was a feeding trough for animals. Wait a minute, isn't he God? Isn't that what we said in the beginning? And yet he was born in a place like that? Can there be much more, hum, more of a humble place for a person to be born? But he's God. Why did he do it? 
because he humbled himself and came for you and for me. And then we have the model. I shared with you in the beginning about Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine if you were in Nebuchadnezzar's palace or some of the other kings? Do you, do you ever read in the Old Testament when, when, when one of the queens married to the king, when, when they wanted to, to, to speak to the king, what did they have to do? They, they had to kind of stand off, right? And kind of ask permission. And they, they, weren't ever, they weren't allowed to just come into his very presence. But wait a minute, they're, they're, they're his wife, right? It doesn't matter. They weren't allowed. If, if the wife, the, the queen, had to ask permission and, and basically come and bow down before a king, wouldn't you think that God, Jesus Christ, the people who were following him, wouldn't they come and kneel down and bow down at his feet? What, wouldn't that seem logical? But instead, we read in the Bible, what did he do? He knelt at their feet and washed their feet. Remember, Paul is giving him as an example of humility, right? He's giving him, he's giving us Jesus Christ as a model for how we should humble ourselves, how we should live. Do you find that amazing? Or am I the only one? I, I read something like this and it's like, what? For me? Can you imagine Jesus Christ coming and washing your feet? And if you deserve to have Jesus Christ bowing down and washing your feet, I want you to come up here and take over because you're more worthy than I am. Think about what these verses teach us and tell us about Jesus. And then, of course, we all know what he did. He humbled himself to the point where he was hung upon that cross. He was crucified. You know, when I, I think about that, the people who were there, they came along and they were laughing at him, right, and jeering him, and, hey, you, you heal all those other people, and, and you, you raise people from the dead. They recognized what he had done, right? They saw his miracles. They knew what he had done. They recognized that he has some special power. Hey, if you're so awesome, dude, come on down off of that cross because you should be able to save yourself. Right? They're recognizing it, but they're taunting him. They're making fun of him. They're, they're being rude to him. That's the model that Paul is saying that we have. That's the example that we have. When I was on the district board of overseers, a number of occasions I was called into other churches to help to mediate issues and problems between the church and the leadership and the members of the church. And oftentimes it, it, it was a case of 
a pastor who came in there and was so arrogant that he thought he had all the answers and he just basically was kind of rolling over the people and, and kind of just pushing them out of the way like, I have all the answers. I have the title. You have to listen to me because I know what I'm doing. And that would just create these clashes and these difficulties. And sadly, all too often, when we would go into some situation like that, we would end up having to ask the pastor to leave for the benefit of the church to be able to continue to grow. Pastor Brian, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of the things I greatly appreciate about you, when you came here to Bethel, you came in and you worked here for years without ever making a suggestion about we need to change this or, or modify that. That's humbly leading as opposed to coming in and I have the answers, I know what we're doing. And that's what Paul is telling us. If we're more like Jesus Christ, we're going to bow at people's feet and wash their feet and demonstrate grace and love to those people. You know, sometimes we are looking for these dynamic people to come in and lead and guide and direct. And they come in and they take over and they really can create havoc. And we have story after story of pastors and church leaders who come in and they're very charismatic and they're strong leaders and they come in and they lead the church in a certain direction and then they leave and the church just collapses and falls apart because it was all built on the pastor or this church leader and not built on the model of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to build a church that is glorifying and honoring to God, we build a church based on the example and the model that we're given in, in Scripture of how Jesus Christ lived his life and how he modeled himself. Paul calls all believers to humble themselves so that we can be like Jesus Christ who humbled himself. And you say to yourself, well, I don't know that, that I want to humble myself that much. After all, you know, how do I, how do I get credit for the things I've done? You know, I, I've done a lot. And I should get some credit, shouldn't I? I mean, after all, I, I've done this and I've done that. I, you know, I, I'm being realistic. Isn't that sometimes what goes on in our minds, right? Like, look at all of the things I've done. Don't I get any credit? Look at verse 9 with me. Jesus Christ hung on that cross. He bore our sins. He had humbled himself so much that he was humiliated by people. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There is coming that day when every knee 
will bow to Jesus Christ. But he didn't demand it. Jesus did not exalt himself. Jesus did not lift himself up and say, you need to bow at my feet. You need to do this. Instead, he instructed, he led, he taught, he loved, he healed. He did so many things that at the end of the book of John, it says it's everything that was written down about what Jesus had said and done and all of the things that, that he was. If it was all written down, there wouldn't be enough room in all of the, the, the books that would be written to hold, in libraries to hold it. It would be that much. If he did all of that, He deserved to have people bowing at his feet. Instead, he is the one who humbled himself. Back at verse 5, it says our attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. We should be more and more like him. For what reason? Why do we want to have this kind of attitude? Why do we want to have this kind of behavior? We should want to do all of these things. Truly in our heart, we should desire to do this, to glorify God, which Jesus Christ did, to bring him glory, that people would look and want to have a relationship with God rather than being rejected and sent away because they see something in us that's like, if that's what being a Christian is about, I don't want it. No, it should be the opposite. It should be that our lives so model Christ, God, that people are drawn to a relationship with Jesus Christ, to glorify God in our behaviors, in our words, in our deeds, all of the things that we are. As I was thinking about this message, as I was preparing, and Pastor Brian, I don't know if you ever get to this point, you know, you're kind of like, okay, how do, I, how do I conclude this that would make some sense? How do, how do I bring this to a point where hopefully you can understand how we can live our life in a God-glorifying way, in a humble and gracious way. And then Ellen Oberg put out some words from her father's memorial service. And those of you who knew her father, Wheats, can relate to this story. I believe that this is exactly what a God-glorifying life looks like. And it was shared by her pastor, the man who married Pastor Brian and Ellen. Let me just quote this. He says, Wheats Wheeler was a very successful man. And by the way, I think Wheats had uh, gone through eighth grade in school. He was not the richest or most famous person in Muskegon. But by every standard that really counts, he was a very successful man. He says, to live a life of meaningful work, of honor and integrity, that is a successful life. 
to live a life with many friends who love and respect you. That is a successful life. To live a life so as to provide for the needs of your wife and children. That is a successful life. To live a life of deep commitment, faithfulness, and sacrificial love for your family. That is a successful life. To live a life that your children and grandchildren can be proud of. That is a successful life. To live a life that your wife and children and grandchildren love you greatly and respect you completely. That is a successful life. To live a life which is an example for others to emulate. That is a successful life. To live a life which honors God and is pleasing to Him. To place one's faith in Jesus so as to possess forgiveness, eternal life, and confidence for reunion with loved ones in heaven. That is a successful life. To die without disgracing yourself or disappointing those who love you. To leave behind a reputation, legacy, and example for others to celebrate, respect, and follow. That is a successful life. That was Wheat's Wheeler. And by all those standards, Wheat's Wheeler lived a very successful life. The last point that he made there is one that I often worry about for myself. I want to die without disgracing myself or disappointing those who love you, love me. I don't want to leave behind a reputation and a legacy that people will mock and make fun of. When I think of these verses, when I think of this description, I think of my life and I pray regularly to God that when I finish this life, that I would bring no disgrace upon God because of things that I say or do. I was at a meeting this past week. I was in the township, and there was a, a young man who was talking about something, and I, and I challenged him on what he was saying, and he got very offended by what I said. And I realized that that's not being a good model. It's not being a good example of being Christ-like. My heart was broken. And I thought, I want to glorify God. I don't want to leave behind a reputation of being the jerk that comes into a meeting and says and does things that are offensive. I want my life to reflect the grace of and integrity that we saw in the life of Jesus Christ. I hope you feel the same way. And I hope you're striving in your life to model your life after Jesus Christ, to be willing to humble yourself I 
had to publicly, because I recognized what I had done, I had to publicly apologize to that young man at that meeting. Do you have somebody that you need to make amends with, that you need to make things right with in your life? Model the humility that Jesus Christ modeled. Live your life in a way that honors and glorifies God. Because in the end, that's all that's really going to matter. That's really all that anybody's going to pay attention to. Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your leading and guiding. Lord, uh, glorify yourself in this church with these, your people. We thank you for your leading and guiding, for your presence. We thank you for being the amazing and awesome God that you are and for the wonderful example of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.